I'm Major Robinson, Juanita Vero, Chris Warden, Barb Sistero, Jim Swan, Adriana Hines. This is Sherry Jarvis. Hello, this is Samuel Enemy Hunter from Lodgegrass, Montana. From Greeno, Montana. From Rocky Boy. From Virginia City, Montana. Helena, Montana. And you're listening to. And you are listening to. Listen first. Listen first. You're listening to Listen First, Montana. Hi, this is Chantelle Schieffer, President and CEO of Leadership Montana. Views and opinions shared by guests of Listen First Montana do not reflect the opinions of all of our alumni or organization. We are a large group with lots of opinions, believe me. If you hear something that makes you uncomfortable, we invite you to listen deeply, listen hard, and listen first. Hello and welcome to Listen First Montana, a podcast of Leadership Montana. I'm Eric Halverson. You're listening to a special mini-series of this podcast focused on Leadership Montana's newest program, the Indigenous Immersion Initiative. About 20 Leadership Montana alumni are participating in this new program, and you'll hear from them as they visit four different tribal nations. Their reflections on this podcast offer listeners a wide range of perspectives, insights, and levels of familiarity with the communities this group will visit. For this episode, let's head to the Northern Cheyenne Nation for a conversation between Juanita Vero and Samuel Enemy Hunter. Juanita and Samuel have both been featured guests on this podcast, and we encourage you to check out their full episodes to learn more about them. This episode was recorded in September of 2022 in the backseat of a moving vehicle, so you'll hear a few sounds of the road. Juanita and Samuel start out their conversation by sharing why they decided to participate in the Indigenous Immersion Initiative. Hello, this is Samuel Enemy Hunter from Lodgegrass, Montana. Hi, I'm Juanita Vero from Greeno, Montana. Okay, so why, why did I want to do this? Because, again, selfishly, I, um, I'm ignorant and, and I want to learn more about Indigenous culture in Montana. And because it was a Leadership Montana program, I had a lot of faith in what I'd experienced and I had a lot of faith in the sort of people that we'd interact with and the kind of questions that we'd be presented with and that we could wrestle with. Um, I guess I said yes in that same vein of being ignorant as an Indigenous person in Montana. Um, it was an opportunity for me to learn about other tribal cultures not that I didn't know about them already. It was being engaged in the community rather than, oh, at, in college I learned about the Blackfeet people, I learned about the Cheyennes because they're my neighbors. Um, it was more of my own ignorance of taking the time to go there on my own and engage in the culture and with the people. And growing up on my own, tribal lands um, on the Crow Nation that's all I know like that's where I was raised that's my history that's my culture that's my language and my nickname is Crow Nation like my friends call me Crow Nation because I am so engaged in my culture and my tribe that this actually was a, a chance for me to to step out of that and break out of that and actually 
come here to where we are in Northern Cheyenne and actually talk to people, listen to what they're doing on their own tribal nations. And, and I'm really sad that I missed the Blackfeet one because that's the one that um, there's still a lot of that tension and, and animosity between the Blackfeets and the Crows. And I wanted to be in it. I wanted to be there and ask those questions on why, why in this day and age do we still have that animosity that our ancestors had at the time? And as someone who doesn't know anything about intertribal animosities, can you um, describe for me like what 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 do animosities look like or feel like? Or I don't even I, I can't even conceive of. Yeah, like what's an example? Uh, historically, a lot of the the Crow people and the the Blackfeet people uh, back in the teepee days, uh, we were known as two of the fiercest tribes of the Plains people, and so there was always that inner tribal warfare between the Crow and the Blackfeet, um, just to prove over, over or, or, not really over territory because we're so, so far, far apart. It was more of well, this fierce tribe is right here. Let's go prove ourselves that we're the better warriors. And so there was a lot of these little war parties between crows and blackfeets. And and at one point in our history, um, that we were down to 200 crow people and the blackfeet. The population of mm-hmm. Crow Nation was 200. Yep, and that's why we're one of the most studied tribes is because our people were about to go extinct. There's so many books written on Crow people for that reason. And we were down to 200 people, and the Blackfeets and the Lakotas and the Cheyennes joined forces to completely wipe us out. And when, when, when was this? This was in the early 1800s, around um, about 1830. And was there some sort of, what, what caused this sort of decline, rapid decline in population? Um, just over, because we had already migrated here from the Great Lakes area, we split off with the Hadatsas in North Dakota. So we were just a smaller tribe by the time we settled in Montana, where oh, we okay. are today. And, and, and you were pushed into Montana. You were originally, I'm sorry, originally a lake? The uh, Great, Great Lakes, Lakes area. <laughs> That's as far back as we... Can, so where are your origin stories coming from? Do they come from the Great Lakes? or? Um, nope, they come from here. So part of our migration is here, but we also have the, um, I mean, where we come from are our stories, but a big part of our history is our migration to where we are because one of our leaders had a vision about a sacred tobacco plant, and that plant grows in the Bighorn Mountains. It's the only place that... Oh, wow. It grows. And so that's how we ended up here because of the vision of one of our leaders. And so that's, so we do have a tobacco society, um, tobacco planting dances. And so that's huge for us. But again, just with that migration and with, with the being out here and the people just, oh, because of these warfares that were happening we really were dwindled down to about 200 people. And so when the Cheyennes, the Blackfeets, and the Lakotas joined forces to wipe us out, um, that was called the Battle of um, Prior Creek. And we defeated them. And so we had about about 50 warriors who 
actually defeated all of these other warriors who Those were combined nations. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I have a, a vision in my mind of what fiercest means, <laughs> yeah. like black f- fierceness or crow fierceness. Like, what's a crow warrior known for, or what, or um, what attributes do you celebrate? What what we were known for at that time was our skill with with the bow and arrow and riding on horseback and being able to shoot. Oh, and um, the black feet were more. No, no, they were. Um, they were on the plains too. That they was were on the thing. plains they were more too. in the mountains, yeah. but they're not really. No, they're our our reservation and their reservation are pretty similar because of it's mountainous. Um, we we bumps have our up against mountains. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so we have those similarities. But what uh, one of the skills that a crow warrior would have is when they would shoot at their target. By the time the first arrow they shoot hits that target three more hit it first and so it was that quickness that they had in and that skill of just hitting that repeatedly the their target also with hand-to-hand combat we're pretty we're pretty fierce with that too and so um and our warriors were young warriors they were um started I mean, they were a full active warrior by the time they were 13 years mm-hmm. old and would go into battle. And um, we had a crazy dog society, which were, um, we call them suicide warriors because they would stake themselves to the ground when at, basically on the front lines. Mm-hmm. And so they would go into battle first against the and enemy. these were young people? And they were young people, yeah. They were the ones who kept the other warriors, the the opposing side um back yeah yeah fascinating so. okay and then what are if you know do you know what, what the blackfeet were known for or um nope and seeing that's another thing that's why i really want to know like the warrior history and culture of the blackfeet i don't know if anybody even asked that question or even here with the cheyennes what that question would be like what did your warriors look like what were you known for as warriors but because we were such a fighting tribe or like warrior tribes that's where a lot of that um i guess animosity came from mm-hmm. and it's still really ingrained especially in the men not so much the women um mostly the men and so we still get that a lot today so if you have you know crow who's uh, a diplomat is that valued or uh, i guess what i'm trying to get at is is how does that warrior culture show itself nowadays in in 2022 what's celebrated um with the i guess with the leadership with the leaders um taking care of their people and that's something that you don't that's always been a part of our culture and our history is taking care of each other and then at some point we lost that when we did go to the reservations because we had to we were governed by the government and so we really didn't have leaders who who fought for us because we were already defeated and we were already on the reservations and so to break free from that in the earlier earlier times in the 19 early 1900s um when when the native people the indigenous people started 
we're being educated in the white man's system, then that's when you would see a lot more leadership happening and and basically fighting the system and fighting for who we are as Indian people because we weren't citizens mm-hmm. of the United States until the early 20s and we did not have the right to vote until the 60s, you know, and and that's why with voting rights we're still so suppressed on the reservations because it is so new still to us. And so that's why we have those leaders now who are are pushing that, are fighting that, are encouraging, you know, get an education to the younger generations. Um, but at the same time, don't forget who you are as a Crow person or as a Blackfeet person or as a Cheyenne person. Um, and so that's where you see a lot of that happening now um, is that leadership um, starting to to show its face with men and women and even the young adults. Yeah. And so we're seeing a, a huge uprising on that, which is really exciting. I, I think a word that reminded me when, when we were in Browning was the word renaissance, and that's, that's really, like, stuck with me, and I was excited about that. I think that's why last year during the legislative session, um, myself and Adrian Gerward, we were the native uh, voices there and the representation there we were there every single day and you did not see a whole lot of tribal leaders there um, because that's that's not a place that's still that's still newer mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. us that we have those voices and you know so we would go every day and we would do testimonials on anything we could find that that would affect native people and the LGBT communities, the two-spirit people. Um, And we had a lot of support outside of the Capitol, but not so much... In the halls. Yeah, in the halls. It was more like, why do these two Indians think they can be here every day? Yeah. Oh, interesting. You know, and testify in in our committee about this. I don't mean to be, like, kumbaya-y, but, uh, you know, I, I like rainbows and unicorns, so... How, in a magical world, how do you think we can have that conversation? How could your time in Helena, how could any Native person's time in Helena be, or maybe this just isn't possible, just the way the system in Helena is set up, but like, how can we be more collaborative or understanding with, yeah, our, our tribal neighbors? I think it's it's, doing more of this stuff because I've yeah. learned so much and just in this past eight months or however long we've been doing this program, I feel like now at least I ask the question, like, where's a Native perspective on this? What is the Native perspective or voice or now I, like, um, in ways that I just never did before? I was, yeah. And like, I don't know anything necessarily but at least yeah. I'm, I'm beginning to like ask the question and, and that's where what it is it's asking the questions because we don't have the answers either it's for me even just you asking that question is forcing me to think about it too and now I'm really gonna have to think about it like how how are we gonna do that and and so I mean that I, I really wish it was really cut and dry but it's not uh, because we still live in a state where that mentality is the Indians 
should stay on the reservations. That's what they're there for. That's where they need to stay. And and that's tough. When you're raised in that and you're told that your whole life, that no, not just from the outsiders, but from the your families, that no, this is where we have to be. Where this is the reservation, this is where it's safe, this is where you're from. Um, that's it's hard mm-hmm. it's hard to leave and it's hard to to be as active um, as you want to be without the support of your families and because it's safer to be on the reservation it's where your people are you have your own tribal government work for them and you know so that's because we are sovereign nations that's where we're supposed to be you're not supposed to be off the reservation, you know, fighting for all Native people in your state. So as being an elected official in Missoula, um, how do you see relationships with the CSKT or or any tribal government and and this is something that is new to me Um, I feel fortunate that we have a commissioner Dave Strohmeyer who um, I feel forged positive working relationships with the Confederate Salish Kootenai tribes and there's been somewhat but this happened before I got there so I don't really know how this happened but there was a culture even within our um, community and planning land use uh, department the previous director had a good relationship with council and the tribes and there's so that's just that's part of the the culture that I'm familiar with of Missoula County and granted I'm, I'm a new commissioner but something was already in place before I got there where there is a positive working relationship. There's only a small portion of, um, the, just a very tiny bit of the reservation that is in Missoula County. So we don't have necessarily like a lot of engagement there, but I think just, I don't know how, much, how to say this, but there's um, a lot of respect. And I, I think that's it right there. It's just that there's a lot of respect and wanting to better understand the Salish. Okay, so what surprised you, Samuel, about this this experience of the uh, inaugural Indigenous Immersion Initiative? Oh, uh, what surprised me was the, the camaraderie of everybody in here and having these, even though we're all leadership Montana alumni, I feel more that this group of people are allied with me. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I can go to any of their communities and, you know, ask for support, and I would have it. This mix of people is incredible. Oh, that's well said. Yeah, just the the joy of, of getting to go and travel to other parts of the state of Montana that I, I love so much, and there's so much that I don't know. So, But that didn't surprise me. I was kind of expecting that. Okay, what is surprising me? Maybe fully starting to grasp the um, impacts of generational trauma and what that really means. Like, I think I've heard that phrase for forever, but now really to see how it's played out. Generational trauma is something that 
the, the depth of it, it has surprised me. Thanks to Samuel Enemy Hunter and Juanita Vero for coming on the podcast. And thanks to you for listening in to this sixth installment of our mini-series focused on Leadership Montana's newest program, the Indigenous Immersion Initiative. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to support Listen First Montana, please tell a friend about the show or share your favorite episode on social media. Those small steps can really help us connect these stories to more listeners. Our intro song is a rendition of the Montana State Song by Scott Gudger, and our other music is from Blue Dot Sessions. We'll see you soon with our next episode. Until then, thanks for listening to Listen First, Montana. Montana.